Hello, and welcome to the second episode of the Bad Religion Podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Mike, a.k.a. I Kill Kenny. To open up the podcast, I'm going to play an especially kick-ass version of Along the Way that the band performed around 1984 from the Hell on Earth bootleg. Here goes. I refuse to abuse what is kind to diffuse, but it's there and it's happening to me. Along the way, as we go through the snow, we cannot forget our foes. Front our dinner is always waiting at the table. Along the way, yeah. What you see not for me isn't what you plan to be, but you'll have what you wanted in the end. For a long time, I thought that the Tommy reference in the end of this song, like Tommy, You Are Free, referred to Tom Clement. If you're not aware, Tom Clement was one of Brett's friends who killed himself at some point before Suffer came out. The song, I Give You Nothing on that album, is alternatively titled Tom Clement and is dedicated to Brett's friend. Several years later, Brett mentioned Tom Clement again in the song You Don't Belong on Process of Belief, a song about many of his contemporaries in the L.A. punk scene growing up. On that song, he says, Tom took his life in his mother's car. So, knowing all of that, it was fairly logical to connect, like Tommy, You Are Free, to Tom Clement. However, I was reading through a thread on the brpage.net's forum a few months ago, and someone mentioned that they thought the reference referred to Tommy from the Who's Legendary Rock Opera. The last track off that album is entitled, I'm Free, thus it's very easy to see how Graffin probably referenced this. Upon further investigation, the answer over at the brpage.net indicates that Tom Clement died in 1986, at least two years after that song was written. In addition, Along the Way was written by Greg, not Brett. From everything I've read, Tom Clement was Brett's friend, and there was no mention of Graffin knowing Tom. So, I think it is conclusive to say that Tommy is not Tom Clement, but more likely the Who's version of Tommy. While I was investigating this, I also saw an interesting interpretation of the song over at Defining Bad Religion. No one writes that... 
The more and more I hear this song, the more convinced I am that the song could be possibly referring to how BR got back together after the flop of Into the Unknown. Since Graffin wrote that song, it makes sense that he could be addressing the band and sending a message that affirms their position. It really does seem like Along the Way could be the manifesto of Back to the Known. One version of the first line of the song, uh, there actually are a few different ones, including I refuse to abuse what is fine to diffuse, and a few others, goes, I refuse to abuse what is kind of the muse, but it's there and it's happening to me along the way, seems to set the tone for the rest of the song, album, and even musical direction of the band. After the commercial and critical failure that was Into the Unknown, the band is returning to the style that made them relatively popular. The muses, for those of you not aware, are typically associated with creativity in a variety of different artistic areas, and writers and songwriters frequently allude to being inspired by them. What Graffin says in the first line is basically, I create the music that I feel is interesting to me, and I do not want to compromise this. However, as time passes, I find myself gravitating back to what is known. The song goes on to tell the hardships that the group had branching out to something different, and how the pressure and the critics are forcing them back to what they started with. The last two lines of the song, But forget, don't regret, to find love and happiness, unless you're willing to be strong when they are gone along the way. Like Tommy, you are free, and you will not follow me, until we see each other once more on the path along the way, seem to indicate that the narrator is accepting the fate of playing to what the fans want to hear, but that the band must accept this, and it won't be so bad. In a way, the band is able to become free if they create more traditional punk that inspires people. Of course, this is just an interpretation. There are many other ways to interpret the song, as with most of Bad Religion songs. That's what makes the songs so interesting, even after countless listens. Let's move on to a B-side off the New America called Pretenders.
song makes me wonder who was in charge of the track selection of the New America. The three B-sides on the album, Pretenders, The Fast Life, and Queen of the 21st Century, in my opinion, are better than many of the tracks that made it onto the North American release. As the album is one of the most critically panned albums, I think the inclusion of these songs could have really helped to make it a more successful album. Before we start with the news, I'd like to point out a correction to an error in the first podcast. I kept referring to the website's address as brpodcast.blogger.com, that's not the actual address, as many of you probably figured out. The actual address of the podcast website is brpodcast.blogspot.com. Remember, blogspot, not blogger. Again, it's brpodcast.blogspot.com. Anyways, let's move on to the news. The biggest news of the week is that punknews.com has confirmed that Greg Graffin has finally started working on another solo album. According to the site, the album will be produced by Brett Gurowitz, with the band from the Uyghur Thens playing the instruments for the album. Additionally, Julie Holland, who is a folk jazz singer, will perform a duet with Greg. If you're interested in hearing what she sounds like, I've included a link to her webpage where she has a few sample songs for download in the show notes at the website. This is very exciting news, because it looked for a while as if this album would not be happening. If they're starting production now, we can probably expect a release around June, although that is merely speculation. In other news, the BRPH.net posted an interview with Jay Bentley, who coincidentally shares my last name, who stated that the band is going to go on tour around September. Why are they going on tour, you ask? Because at that point, they plan on having a new album out. That's great news, it's been, as it's been over a year and a half since The Empire Strikes First came out. But we really should take this news with a grain of salt, because Bad Religion hasn't exactly been the most punctual band in recent years. Maybe it's that they're getting older, but for whatever the reason, it takes them much longer to get things done than in the past. They started recording The Empire Strikes First in November of 2003, I believe, and that album wasn't released until May of 2004. Live at the Palladium was recorded in November of 2004, and it still isn't out yet. 2005 was supposed to be the year that Graffin put out a book based on his thesis for the general public, as well as a new American Legion, but those didn't happen. Apparently, uh, Graffin actually spent a good part of the year building a new library for his house in Ithaca. I think a more realistic time frame for the album is November at the earliest. But whatever the case, it's still great to see the band putting out new material after about 26 years of existence. That's it for the major Bad Religion news of the week. Let's move on to another song, this one being a live version of Part 3 from Coney Island High, recorded in 1997.
religion history section this week focuses on the musical alter ego of Brett, Billy. The first reference to Billy is in the song Billy Gnosis on Losing Generation. Billy Gnosis shares the same initials as Brett Gurowitz, hinting that he is at some level the same person as Brett. His life story has many parallels with Brett, mainly that he is a drug addict. Brett's drug problem has existed since the start of the band. After the resounding success of How Could Hell Be Any Worse, Brett blew most of the proceeds from the record on procuring more drugs. In Billy Gnosis, Brett tells the story of how Billy moved from the East Coast to California. In California, he was exposed to the world of drugs, which slowly consumed him. By the end, the worms, or drugs, had eaten into his brain, effectively poisoning Billy. Let's take a listen to Billy Gnosis off of Losing Generation now.
We'll get back to the rest of the story of Billy later in the show. But now it's time to move into the second installment of Not So Bad Religion Banter. Here is a clip of Greg talking about the fans in the cheap sheets at a show in Gothenburg, Sweden. Uh, hey, you guys up there in the uh, cheap seats. Does it cost less money to go up there on the top? <laughs> or you just don't want to get too sloppy? Yeah. That's okay. Sometimes I like to go up in the cheap seats also. Yes, it's true. Particularly when I attend the opera or maybe a orchestra concerto. But at a punk rock show, I prefer to go down here. But, hey, you know what? A lot of, it's like some people, it's their first time at a bad religion show. And that's okay, because you want to see what it's all about. So I respect that as well. I would want to see what we're all about, too, before I come to, you know, really get in the shit. Next week, we'll have the exciting conclusion to that banter. It's time to move into another regular section of the show, the cover song section. Be creative. This section is going to be called Pretenders from now on. This week's Pretenders are a band called Stranded, doing a rendition of Delirium of Disorder off of the tribute tape Along the Way. Here goes. part of the show. It was great to get several responses to the question I asked last week, what was your first experience with Bad Religion? Creighton says, I too learned of Bad Religion via Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2, downloaded a few of their seemingly more popular songs from Napster, and spent another year or so collecting all their albums. I just got into the sharing club about a year ago, but I too have quite a few shows on my MP3 player, and I bought about seven shows with video from Fabio not too long ago. To add to the freakiness, I'm 18 and go to the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. I met Bad Religion only once. They were on the Warp Tour in 2004, the only reason I went besides no effects. The show was great, and it was really awesome when some kid threw his Bad Religion shirt on stage and Greg stopped singing and the song and started dancing around the stage holding it up. The rest of the band played on while he danced around, and when they stopped, Greg jokingly told the large audience, they were the closing band, that Bad Religion is not about the music, they're about the merchandise. 
They then found the kid and brought him on stage and hooked him up with some other bad religion gear. And sure enough, everyone who had a shirt started throwing it on stage, and Greg said that he can't bring everyone up. Anyway, from the beginning of the Warp Tour day, I had my plan set up. I watched the show from the front row. Then, when they played their last song, which was Sorrow, one of my least favorite songs, I headed over to where the tour buses were parked. My girlfriend and I jumped over the fence and headed towards the backstage area. In the time it took, Bad Religion were done playing and walking back when I ran into them. Greg was with his girlfriend and daughter. I got autographs and pictures with all of them, and I told them I appreciate everything they do and good luck in the future. Now, D. Adrian from Norway left this comment. Hi there, Mike. Just listened to your podcast, which I found really interesting, considering the effort you put into the creative outlet. Great. I'm the same age as you, 19, and my name is Adrian, and I'm also a long-time Bad Religion fan since I got a copy of Stranger Than Fiction back in 95, one year after it came out. After growing up, I developed an understanding and growing appreciation not only for the instrumental part, but also the lyrical component of the band's songs. Like you, I also own all official releases by Bad Religion, including Into the Unknown and the original Back to the Known EP. The one thing I miss is the first Bad Religion EP. It's just too hard to find and too expensive to buy on eBay. Actually, I don't own either Into the Unknown or Back to the Known because they are too expensive for me, but I do plan on accumulating them someday. Anyway, Alexis writes, It was the summer of 2002, and I was about 12 when my family went on a road trip to Utah. I remember listening to Process of Belief CD that my brother owned in the car. Before departing on the trip, I asked to borrow it, and that's all I listened to on the trip. I think it was about a two- or three-week trip. After that, I started buying more of their CDs. I'm really obsessed with them and their music. They're my favorite band ever in the world. They've helped shape me into the teenager I am and helped me find my own voice and to believe in what you want to be strong about it. Now I only need no substance. Well, I don't own all ages, but I do have 80 to 85, so I technically have all their music. Thanks for all the responses, guys. The question for next week's episode is, what is your favorite Bad Religion song or songs and why? You can email me a response at brpodcast at gmail.com or you can also send me an mp3 recording of your answer that I'll play on the next episode to that same address. Let's move on to the interview section of the show. Here's the second part of the interview that we started last week with a band on tour with the Warp Tour before the release of The New America. Since uh, 1982, since How Could Hell Be Any Worse, has anything gotten better? Gotten better in the world? Hey, that's all a matter of uh, personal, yeah, perception. I think, um, you know, technology has certainly made leaps and bounds, and it can be used for good things. But, but is it? Human nature is essentially the same. Yeah. So, you know, what can you say? Yeah, well, there's, there's, there, we've, we've seen the end of the Cold War, but no. we've gotten a bunch of mini Cold Wars. So, I mean, in the... I, my feeling is in the sense of overall global destruction, yeah, I don't feel quite as paranoid as I did in 1982, yeah. which is a really crappy way for a 16-year-old kid to feel. Like, Scared of the bomb. You could wake up tomorrow morning and yeah. it's all over, and, and that's paranoid and, and, and strange, but it was true. It's reality. It really was, and, and it's, not, it's not there anymore. We've got the American Jesus Talking about technology, uh, 
winning leaps and bounds. On this album, you talk about the internet being a kind of pacifier for uh, America, I guess. Well, that's just an example of, uh, of poor use of technology. I mean, you know, the entertainment aspects of the internet are interesting, but they're not what they're not its its greatest achievement. Its greatest achievement is knowing or having all these ways to access information new, wants to be free. Right, new information and having resources that are at every person's disposal. The potential of the internet is is a lot better than what its use is right now. So it's it's like, it's like television in a way. When television first started, uh, the potential for immediate information was amazing. But now it's basically just commercials and, and uh, friends. Yeah. Okay, there you go. Okay, there you go. <laughs> I can't believe it. The way you look sometimes Like a tramp flying on a city street I oh, am yeah. What you get served up in television, there's, there isn't a reality there, which is what television's greatest achievement could have been is... Bringing reality to everybody's Reality. Yeah. If it's not something in terms of, you know, two high school kids in Littleton, Colorado, basically doing something completely heinous, then it's not really worth time, is it? Well, the only reason, you know, we're still hearing about that every goddamn day because they can't come up with anything that gets ratings higher than that. It's more morbid than that. But I think that uh, all Marilyn Manson fans actually um, are killers. So. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I agree, Greg. Thank you. I guess you could you could basically say that Epitaph was responsible for a lot of this punk rock uprising we saw with Green Day rancid offspring. But ironically you guys had a, a steady, more gradual rise and maybe a more credible one. Do you think it was better that way? Well they still have sold way more records than we have, so Does that matter? Yeah. That's the only thing that separates us. That matters a lot. And uh, I mean that's why you think of them as pop successes. Whereas you think of us as successes because of our steady, gradual rise. They didn't have that. They sold millions of records in a span of two years. So that's all that separates us, really. So you still feel a connection with those bands? Of course. I mean, we brought them on tour. I know. Well, that's We're the one... I mean, you mentioned Epitaph. I don't know if you know the connection between bad religion. Well, definitely. That's why I'm bringing it up. <laughs> but I'd say what gave them the exposure before Epitaph had anything to do with them was that bad religion gave them a stage, the same way that we're giving these bands today a stage. Thank you very much. Thank you very it's been much. great, but the flies are now bombing. Okay. Oh. See you later. Thank, Thank you. We'll see you a little later. Let's get back to the history of Billy, Brett's alter ego. 
Brett put out a side project in 1985 when he wasn't involved with the band called The Seeing Eye Gods. On this album, Brett lists himself as being Billy Pilgrim. Billy Pilgrim is the protagonist from Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse-Five. In that novel, Billy Pilgrim traveled through time, almost living his own life experience twice. This sort of almost madness seems like a continuation of what Brett established at the end of Billy Gnosis. The next mention of Billy is on No Control. This song tells once again of the decline of Billy, going from his innocent days as a child to a drug addict who has abandoned his friends and ends up at the very least in a psychological prison. The sheer amount of emotion in this song really expresses how deep of an issue this is for Brett. After No Control, the character of Billy takes a very long hiatus. It was not until You Don't Belong on the process of belief that we find another reference to him. In that song, Brett writes that Billy went to county on a class one possession. This is obviously a reference to the time that Brett spent in jail for drug possession in the late 90s. And so marks the end of the Billy saga for now. Hopefully Mr. Brett has gotten over his drug addiction and the character will no longer need to be an outlet for his self-loathing over his destructive habit. To close up the Billy section and the rest of the podcast, we'll end on a live version of Billy played back in 1993. I apologize for the sound quality in that show being pretty terrible, but to the best of my knowledge, there are no other live versions of this song in existence. The final song for the episode will be a live version of Epiphany from the Hob or HOB show in Orlando, Florida in 2002. Once again, thanks for listening to the podcast. Next episode, I'll have a piece on the webcam controversy and maybe even a very special interview for you guys. You guys can send all comments to brpodcast at gmail.com and visit the podcast blog at brpodcast.blogspot.com. See you next episode. Yeah.
Come forth, bear witness. See the prophet from the lost bank for 